Welcome to the New City Church Podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching through Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, and the sermon title is, Do It for the Sake of Your Name, O Lord. We hope you are blessed by the message today. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that has that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because they have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. And we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake. O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Amen. This is the word of our Lord. Amen. Join me in prayer, please. God, we need your help as we do every day. Every week, God, as we open your word, we need your spirit to teach us. I pray that for the sake of your name, for the sake of your kingdom and your glory, God, that you'd open our eyes to the truth and to the the beauty of the gospel today, that our hearts would be convicted by the word of God and that we would turn in repentance and faith to our holy God. God, give faith to those who need it today. I pray that you'd forgive sin. Lord, that you would turn hearts to understand and see your mercy today. But Lord, that we would be a confessional people, that we would confess our sins and admit our wrongs and turn in repentance. We need your help for this, God. We need your Holy Spirit to do a work because we are on our own and naturally a cold and rebellious people. So do a work here. Let that not be the case in this place today. 
Let every heart look to you, Lord. Every eye turn to you, Lord. Restore us, strengthen, heal, forgive, and act, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're just showing up in the middle of our Daniel series, that could have felt very heavy, right? A lot of uh, wrath and judgment and these things. We believe that these are things that are very much a part of God's character. We don't, uh, we're not afraid of speaking of these things, but if you're not familiar with Christian terminology or the Bible, this may have caught you off guard. But just listen, pay attention. Uh, my prayer is that if you're not familiar with Scripture and you're here as a guest, that God would really open your eyes to the gospel today because there is good news in Jesus Christ. This is going to be a, a, a sermon that's primarily about prayer. This is unique in Daniel because these 19 verses really are recording for us a prayer of Daniel. But for the last few weeks, we've been doing so much, covering so much prophecy and so much narrative, and it's been pretty deep, pretty heavy. This one's going to carry a whole lot of application. We will be able to leave here today, all of us saying, God, apply this to our hearts. Let us walk in obedience today. So back in Daniel 1, just a quick uh, reference to earlier in Daniel, you'll remember that Jerusalem was besieged as a result of God bringing a curse upon Israel for their sins. Because of their sins, this happened to Daniel. And now Daniel, first in the rulership of Nebuchadnezzar, that's where it all began. Nebuchadnezzar, he took Jerusalem and Judah captive. And the people of God, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were those Jewish boys that were highlighted in that narrative. But that's the reason that it happened is a promise of God. Now it sounds like, wait, why would God promise to do that? Well, God promises both things that are good and blessing, but he also promises curses. He promises that he will do certain things upon certain people and lands if they disobey and rebel. And back in Deuteronomy 28, which we won't go there, but I would encourage you to take that note, read all of Deuteronomy 28 later, and you'll see that God made a specific promise as he's speaking through Moses to his people. If you do what I'm telling you, you will be a blessed people, but if you don't, I will bring curses upon your land. And guess what? Israel over and over and over again turned their back on God, rebelled against his commands, worshipped false idols, and God would patiently work with them and draw them in, but then they would turn again. And this exile is a result of their disobedience, and God promised it. So don't think for a moment that God doesn't promise bad things. He absolutely does. But he also promises abundant grace and mercy and blessing upon those who are in covenant with him. So God allowed this desolation. When, G when Daniel speaks of desolation in this prayer, that's what he's talking about. It was a desolation for God's people to be ripped out of their land, a land that they were promised, and then to be in exile. That's desolation. God promised it. God allowed it. God will bring an end to that desolation. So not only did he promise that it would come, but he brought prophets to tell God's people, it's not going to last forever. You will be in exile, but it won't last forever. This prayer of David's, or excuse me, well, David does so many prayers in the Bible, I always think David when I think of prayers, but this is of Daniel's. The prayer is informed by truth about God. I want you to think about that for a second. How do you pray? When you pray, when you seek the Lord, when you petition the Lord, do you, is it informed by the truth of God? Is it informed by what God has said and the true condition of the human heart? And that's how we need to pray. This prayer is filled with confession. It's filled with truth. It's informed by God's Word. And that's how we need to pray. Take note of this. Prayer is not about emotional manipulation getting things from God or getting God to do something for you. Prayer is about aligning our heart and will with His. So if you pray primarily to get things or to change God or to move God, you don't see the biblical reason for prayer. Primarily, we pray to align our heart with Him. Primarily, we pray to align our will with Him. If we want to see God move, we say, God, where are you moving? Change my heart to see what you're doing. Now, we can pray prayers of petition and supplication and ask him for things as Daniel did, but he's praying according to the will of God. So I have five things for us to consider when we pray, five aspects of Daniel's prayer that we should all seriously consider. 
and then apply to our lives. And if you're wondering why is he not talking about the 70 weeks, because there it was at the beginning of Daniel 9, it's also at the end of Daniel 9, we're going to cover that next time. It's a, a very difficult passage, and I did not want to try to combine that with this beautiful prayer and then try to also explain the 70 weeks of Daniel. So we're not skipping over that. To not return to it, we will, we will come to that. All of this in mind, think about these five things. Number one, posture yourself rightly for prayer. Posture yourself. Think about your posture. And, I, and in this case, I'm not talking about uh, physical posture. I'm talking about spiritual posture. Look at verse 3. He says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God. So what was Daniel's posture here? Daniel's posture, his spiritual posture is humble, self-denying, and seeking him. He's humble. He's lowered himself. He's denying himself. And he says, I turned my face to God. So think about prayer. Think about your prayer life and the things that are, we are so desperate to see happen in our lives and in our country and in our world, our communities. Think about all this stuff. Even praying for the House of Representatives and these massive issues that are beyond our ability to, to really control. When we pray... Do we posture ourselves like this, like Daniel? Think about this in this very moment. Now, why is Daniel so desperate to, to pray in this moment? Well, again, they're in desolation. And one reference that should be made about the 70 years is he begins to pray after realizing from reading the prophet Jeremiah that the 70 years of exile are just about to be over. So far, Israel has been in exile for 66 years at this point. The prophecy of, of Jeremiah was that there would be 70 years of exile. Daniel's doing the math. He's looking at this, and he believes the promise, and he's going, this is going to end soon. We're going to be free. God's going to free us from this exile, from this desolation. And so what does he do? He begins to pray. He turns his face to the Lord. He humbles himself. Now, what he was doing here specifically was turning his face toward Jerusalem. When, the, when we see these in these prayers, these Jewish prayers, and they say, I turn my face to the Lord, this is speaking physically. They would pray towards Jerusalem, towards that place of promise, toward the place of the temple where God had made his presence known to his people. And that's where his, his glory was. So much of Old Testament writing is, is surrounding this presence of God in the temple. That's where it was made known that God desires to be in the midst of his people. Now, you can imagine that Daniel and many of the other Jewish people in that time were thinking, well, where is God? But Daniel didn't lose hope, and he kept faith in the promise, and he looked, he turned his face toward God. He did not pray flippantly or reservedly or reluctantly. But in that late hour of long being in exile and on the brink of seeing God fulfill that promise, he looked to his covenant God. Hold on to that phrase for a second. Think about that. In this section, there's a surprising amount of times that he specifically uses the capitalized L-O-R-D. He's speaking of the covenant God. He's not just talking about the Lord, but the Lord God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's specifically saying, this is the God who made a promise with us. So as he looks his face toward Jerusalem, towards God, and he prays to the Lord, he's looking to the covenant God, the one who made a promise with Israel, the one who conquered Israel's enemies in order to give them a land that they did not deserve. So he looks toward Jerusalem because he wants his people to be there once again. If you turn back, don't do it now, but if you were to look back, it says in the beginning of Daniel that Jerusalem was besieged. Now, we don't get to see all the details, but that was a horror show. That was a nightmare. To be ripped from your home, and then Jerusalem is no longer yours. You're gone. Now you're in another land. So just picture that. And maybe you have some reference points in your family history of, of things like that, but this is in our history. The Jewish people ripped out of their homes. Daniel ripped out of his home. And he wants his people to be there again. And God will fulfill his promise. In Daniel 6, we saw Daniel praying another time. If you remember, he was in the upper chamber. And it says that he prayed toward Jerusalem. And now at that time, he was praying under 
It was against the law at the time. The law was made, you should not make petition to anybody except to the king. And so Daniel went home and he prayed as he often did. He longed for restoration and he knew that only God could do it. So do you long for restoration? Reconciliation, a restoring of something that once was. Uh, you want hopefulness again, and you want restoration. You want Christians to turn their heart to God again, and churches to be revived again. And maybe you long for this land to be a little more like what it was. Now, I think we need to be just thinking a little bit further than that, and just long for a new heavens and a new earth, and do everything that we can to say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we live our lives out for Christ and we follow the gospel and we love people like Jesus loves them and we see kingdom things happen. But our ultimate longing is that we would be with him and that he would restore all things. But he knew that only God could do it, so he prayed and he fasted. We've talked about fasting a couple times here in this church and we've, we've encouraged it. Um, but ultimately, it's a self-denial. It's a denial of self and it's a recognition of the flesh. A recognition in that moment of fasting of how much you crave fleshly, worldly things. And so in that moment, you turn your attention to God who can ultimately fulfill and satisfy the soul. So David, excuse me, Daniel, is praying, fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. He dressed himself in sackcloth and he sat in ashes. That's actually what's happening. If you look it up, it's an in interesting tradition, but it was all about an act of self-denial and mourning, sitting in ashes, recognizing desolation, recognizing that we need to mourn because of the state we are in because of what we have done. That's what he's saying. And the sackcloth, it was a itchy, scratchy, burlap, uncomfortable thing that you would purposely wear so that you would focus completely on the goodness of God and not the comfort of yourself, the comfort of the world. I just think about our prayers, right? I, I, you don't have to say any more than that. Just think about it. Think about when we say, our right, guys, it's time to desperately pray. All right, where are the Oreos? Let's have a barbecue. <laughs> Whatever. Like, let's, let's create some comfort and then we'll get together and pray. Or when you pray and you seek the Lord, like, I think there's so much in here that we can say, God, am I, am I desperate enough for you? Is my heart truly in this state of agony for the people around me and the nation that I'm in and the people that have turned their back on you and even myself? How I ignore, how I am often filled with apathy. Oh, God, help me. He was in sackcloth and ashes. His posture was toward the Lord. It was humble. So think about that. What is your posture in prayer? Posture yourself rightly for prayer. Secondly, pray with confession. Pray with confession. Now we could really say that this entire prayer is one of confession. And I'd like to spend an entire sermon series one, sometime on confessional statements that we see in the Bible. Confession in prayer. It's, it's that important and I hope it doesn't just elude you. I hope that it's not something that you push away because it sounds too religious. It sounds too Catholic or whatever. You're like, we're Protestant. We, we don't confess. No, no. No, we confess more. We don't confess to a man in a booth. We confess to Almighty God who sees everything in our hearts and before whom we will give an account, the one who will judge the living and the dead. We confess our sins to him, but it goes further than that. It's not just a religious act. It's a relationship thing. We should think about this. Are we confessional in our prayer? And confession does have a bad rap. But again, let's let Scripture inform our prayer life. And here we see Daniel confessing his sin and the sins of his people. And too many Christians today are missing that component. And I fail at this often as well. And I want to bring myself back to this as often as I can. Prayers of confession. We've instructed the prayer team that, that prays and leads. Make sure that in each, or as often as is able, let's confess. Whatever the prayer topic is, that's why you might hear them say, well, here's where we fail at that, Lord. Because confession is important. Because confession is honesty. When we don't confess, we're often just trying to hide the truth about ourselves and what we've actually done. 
When Daniel confesses to his covenant God, he speaks to God things that are true about himself and about his God. Look at verse 4. Well, notice in verse 4 what he says. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. That is a beautiful confession. And all through it, now that, now that you've noticed it and you've locked in, now I hope that you see confession all through the Bible. Confession is good. And that is the confession. God, you are great. That's what I mean by confession. We're going to talk about another side of that too, but that is a confession. I confess, God, you are the great one. And what does that do to your heart? You are the great one, not me. You are awesome, not me. You need to confess what is true about God. We need to confess what is true about God. God, you are awesome. God, you keep promises, and you keep loving those who are in covenant with you. That is a confession. And that's all true about God. And where did he get that from? He got that from the Bible. Yes, Daniel read his Bible. It wasn't the complete canon of Old and New Testament, but this tells us that already at this time, there was Scripture being canonized, and the, the law of Moses was accessible to Daniel, and he knew the law. This is really, really awesome. Where did he get these statements from of God's promises and keeping his love towards those who are in covenant? Look at Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. This is really awesome just because of the years of difference and the, the, the span of time from Deuteronomy to, to Daniel. And here God's word is sunk into the heart of Daniel. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This is not exactly what Daniel just said to a thousand generations, and he repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandments and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. That is God. Same God as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Daniel, David and Jesus affirms the law of Moses and he affirms the writing of Daniel. Daniel is a, we need to be listening to the word of God. Isn't it amazing? Our heritage doesn't just go back to a couple hundred years ago here in America, Christians. Our heritage goes back to God creating his people and then choosing for himself a people and making a covenant with his people and then through that people giving us Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So that is one way that we can be a confessional people is by speaking to God and to others what is true about him from his word. Your brothers and sisters around you need to hear you confess truth about God to them. I think we're often caught up in just trying to make people feel good. Like, I just want to tell somebody what makes them feel good. But what if, what if they, what they need to do, what they need is to hear you say something true about God to them. God is a faithful covenant-keeping God, and he does not relent on his promises. God is faithful. God is a good father. But God also hates sin. That is true. That is true about God. So we confess what is true about him, not because he needs to be reminded. So we're not confessing, God, you are good, because he forgot, but because we forgot. So we confess because of our need and that is largely a missing piece from our culture today. I believe that that is true. Church, I would ask you to take this call and this challenge seriously to not be a people who are not confessional, but to be people who confess the truth about God. People will say today true things like God is love and God is good, right? That's like so, so common. You go to an average church and you'll hear that a lot. God is good. God is good. Praise God. God is lovely. God is awesome. And it's all true. But we cannot. If we are a biblical people, we won't stop there. And we won't just say what sounds nice and lovely. But what about the other part that really narrows it down in the law of Moses? That he blesses those who are careful to what? Keep his commandments. What was the actual promise? I will bless those who are careful to keep my commandments. But how many people want to just get the blessings of God without keeping his commandments? 
And we trample underfoot the grace of God by saying, oh, no, 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 Jesus, Jesus, he, he died for me, so I can do whatever I want. It's just not true. That is not the gospel. Those who follow Jesus love the commands of God. A true disciple of Jesus will seek to keep the word of God and seek to keep the command of God. Then the other side of this that is so important is that confession also doesn't just look to the truth about God, but looks inward and is honest about our own sins. And that's probably the more familiar definition of confession. We're honest about our own sins, and even like Daniel, the sin of our own nation. Now this, we could go so far with this, could we not? We're really good at saying about how, how royally our nation has messed up. Right? Like, uh, you, you could make lists, lists, and they just go, this is where America has gone wrong. These are all the things that America has done. And this is why we're in the trouble that we're in. And if we, with the same vigor, would look to our own hearts and confess to God just like that, God, this is where I have sinned. Here's where I have failed. Me and my nation, our people, your, your people. Oh, Lord, you are great and awesome, and we have sinned. That was Daniel's prayer. Look at verse 5 and 6. This is heavy. We have sinned and done wrong. What's the difference? And acted wickedly and rebelled. It just it goes on. These are all different things. He's not being redundant. Talking about blatant wickedness as well as missing the mark of God's glory acted wrong, the, the type of actions that you have, turning aside from your commandments and rules, all of these things he's confessing. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. We have not listened. We've been closed off. Our ears are shut. Verse 9 to 11, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servant, the prophets, all Israel has transgressed your law. You know what transgression is? It's knowing what is right and still doing what is wrong. It's not just missing the mark and being a sinner and falling short, but it's knowing what is true and still you transgress the law. You push against what, is, what you know God is calling you to do or not to do. You push against that. And he's admitting this here. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. Verse 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Sixty-six years of captivity have gone by, and now Daniel is saying, we have not entreated you. We have not, we've not come to you in this humble state. But guess what? God is going to fulfill his promises, and he will. But Daniel is saying, even though we're on the brink of this being done, and the promise is going to be fulfilled, and the 70 years will be over, oh God, forgive us for our sins. We have turned from you, now, naturally, we don't like to admit anything like this. Confession is hard. I've seen it in my own heart. It's difficult. Married people, you know what, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's hard to confess when you know you've done something wrong, when you're the problem, when, when I'm the problem. Also, we've seen it in our kids. So parents, when you see kids and you're like, what you do wrong? You know, and they don't want to say it. Tell, you know, you have, you have to like, rock, like rip it out of their mouth. They, they don't, they don't want to say what they did. I'm sorry for being wrong. No, no. What did you do exactly? Like nothing. Because it hurts. Because it hurts. It doesn't, it's, it goes against the flesh. It goes against the nature. Our, it, it is our, no, it is our nature. It goes against God. It goes against what is good and righteous. So we need, we need Jesus for this. We need the help of the Holy Spirit for this. But we do need to be a people who confess. Parents, teach this to your children. On that note, teach this to your children. We have, a, we have parents with a lot of young, young kids, and I think it's so fun because I don't feel that old, but I get questions from people who are younger than me about parenting. I'm like, this is pretty cool. 
I, I kind of know what I'm doing, but not really. <laughs> I, I do have kids that are getting married now, but I still don't feel old enough for that. But let me just say, parents with younger kids, teach early. Start early. Teach your kids to confess, to be people who confess their sins. When they say or when they sin against you or siblings or anyone, teach them that confession is a necessary part of repentance and turning to God. And the one way that you're going to do that is by modeling that for them. Parents, you need to be confessors of your own sin, even sometimes to your children. Here's what I've done wrong, and here's where I've sinned against you. And show them how to go to a gracious and merciful Father through Jesus Christ. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is not just Old Testament. This is, this is Bible. This is gospel. This is truth about us. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. There's a lot of healing that happens on the other side of confession. Some of you may be actually in need this morning of confessing your sins to the Lord today. To the Lord. Confessing your sins to the Lord. Don't delay at that. Don't hold back at that. And when you pray, church, pray with heartfelt and sincere confession, both what is true about God and what is true about yourself. A prayer of confession. That's the second thing. Thirdly, ascribe to God what is due his name. Notice what Daniel says and how he gives honor to the Lord in prayer. And, and I believe this will help you when you pray. Look at verse 7, going back a little bit. But this is where he ascribes to God what is due his name. Verse 7, to you, O Lord, what? Belongs righteousness. That is due to his name. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Again in verse 14, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. Ascribe to God in your prayers what is due to his name. Prayer should be to God. Right? Who are we fooling? We don't pray to people. I love it when, my, you know, when we're teaching our kids about prayer and they say on accident, oh, I was with so-and-so and I prayed to them. Did what? You prayed to, to who? Oh, you mean you prayed to God for them. <laughs> okay. We don't pray to people. We don't pray to spirits. We don't pray to angels. We don't pray to saints who are dead or alive. There's no power in any of those. There's power in God. God is sovereign. God, we pray to God. We pray to Him. It is Him that is due righteousness and mercy and forgiveness. He has those things to dispense to the people who are in need. The curse that has come upon His people is a direct result of God's judgment, just as many today find themselves in positions of difficulty and curses due to their own rebellion and disobedience. We know where we deserve, what we deserve, where we are, that we're in the midst of need, not God. So we go to Him and we ascribe to Him what He is due. But we live in a culture that does not want to exalt God in moments of trouble. And I, I pray and I believe that that's not primarily the case with the people that I'm talking to in this room, but be on your guard against that. When things are hard and tough and there's persecution and trouble and hardship around you or you're just bummed, whatever the circumstance is, in those moments, ascribe to God what is due to His name because He's worthy. Self-exaltation is the favored position. That's what we want. We want to exalt self. Humanism breeds gross selfishness, and it's everywhere. Our entire world, but specifically what we see in our context, we see our country is breeding selfish self-exaltation, and it's being touted as good. And so what are we doing? We're going against the grain here, <laughs> brothers and sisters. We go against that flow because Scripture doesn't say self-exaltation is good at all. Not one instance can we find where that would be good for the soul to exalt yourself. But we exalt God. You don't need to look in the mirror every day and say you're worth it and you're valuable. Can I just say that, please? 
You don't need to look in the mirror, your mirror, your physical mirror at home, and say to yourself, you're worth it and you're valuable. That's not what the Bible says to do. That's not what Scripture says is where help is. What you need is something better than yourself. So let's just say you are beautiful and you are worth it. Guess who's more beautiful and more worth it? God. So in your place of lowliness and hardship and heartache and depression, who do you need? Not yourself. You need God. You need God to fill you with himself. So giving to God what is due his name is the way for you to bring your soul up out of its mire to rejoice in God Almighty and to find healing and hope and help. What we all need to do is not look in the mirror at our home, but we need to look into the mirror of God's Word and see Him for who He is. We need to see God for who He is and who He made us to be. You want to know how to value yourself? Well, look to God. Look to Him and He will instruct your heart as to what kind of value He sees in you and how He loves you and how He died for you and how He's walking with you and preserving you and providing for you. And you look to find all of that in God. And what you'll find as you look in the mirror of God's Word to see who He is and who He made you to be, you'll find that without Him, you're actually not as lovely and awesome as you thought you were. Without Him. I'm telling you, this goes against the culture. It is not what the culture wants to hear. We don't want to say that we need God in order to be lovely, but that is the gospel. Without the gospel, without Christ, see, He died for who? The ungodly. He died in our state of ungodliness and wretchedness and sin, and he makes us his bride. He clothes us in his righteousness. We get goodness and righteousness and loveliness, not from ourselves, but from him, through Jesus Christ. And so we, what do we need? What do you need today? You need Christ. You need him. You need to look to him, to ascribe to him what he is due. You'll also discover as you look in the mirror and be reminded that if you'll trust him and give your life to him and obey his commands and believe in his son Jesus, that he will grant you repentance from your sin and then, only then, does a person begin to find life again. So if you're in that place, what do we need? We need repentance. We need repentance from sin. If you're in that place today and you've not repented from sin and you're still, you're looking at the mirror in your home or you're looking at the world and you compare yourself to the world, don't compare yourself to the world. Compare yourself to a holy God and you'll know your need because we are not holy. We need God. And Daniel here is in this place and he's crying out to God in confession. He's crying out to God in repentance and he's ascribing to God what is due only to his name. So church, when you pray, ascribe to God what is due to him. That's what Jesus taught us to do. Are you hearing some New Testament ideas in this? What does he say? Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. That's how he taught us to even begin to pray. Our Father in heaven, you are holy. Not our Father in heaven, look at me. Look how awesome I am. Our Father in heaven, you are holy. And compared to you, I am nothing. But with you in me, I have everything. That's what we need. Fourthly, pray on the basis of his mercy. Because to even approach him, it has to be on the right basis. We pray on the basis of his mercy. Look at what he said in verse 18. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness but because of your great mercy. Isn't that refreshing? It's refreshing to hear a biblical prayer, a right prayer. It's not because of my righteousness, but because of your great mercy. This is a very New Testament prayer, isn't it not? This might not even sound to some like, wait, this is the Old Testament? This is the Old Testament. This is, this is Daniel and his prayer. He's speaking on the basis of approaching God on the basis of the mercy of God. We do not present our pleas to you because of our righteousness. Why is this? Because we have no righteousness. Daniel's saying, I, I, I present this to you not because I'm righteous, because even if I tried to find some righteousness, I couldn't find any. I'm not righteous, but you're merciful. You're merciful to 
sinners. We don't have righteousness on our own. It's our unrighteousness that actually makes us guilty before God. It's our so-called righteousness even on our best days, like the days where you help someone across the street or you carry groceries for your neighbor and you're doing these good things and you're like, wow, I'm just a great person. Even on your best righteous day, we still fall short of His holiness and His glory. We have no righteousness of our own. So just like Daniel, seeing our needs and the needs of our nation and world and the destructiveness of our sin, seeing all of that and then remembering the faithfulness of God, we present our really, in comparison, pathetic requests because we know he will show compassion to the humble but only based on his mercy. He will show compassion to the humble but only based on his mercy. So we don't come to him arrogantly. We come to him recognizing what is our need, the need of our nation, the need of our people, the sins of our own heart, even in the, in the sins that have brought so much destruction around us. And that is true. But what do we do? We go to God based on his mercy, not our righteousness. There are a lot of self-righteous people in America. Now, all over the world, but we live in America. So I'm going to talk to you Americans, right? You people in this room, we have in our, play, in our culture, in our nation, a lot of self-righteous people. We need to guard against that. We need to guard against that. And here we are on Independence Day, right? Well, tomorrow. And, and there's a lot of glory, glorying going on, right? And that's okay. We can celebrate those things, but we are not righteous. America is not righteous. No country is righteous. No nation, no king, no ruler is, not, is righteous on their own. We need Jesus Christ and his righteousness. We go to him. So who is he looking for? What is God looking for in our prayers? People who come to him with contrite hearts, humble and lowly, admitting our unrighteousness. So do that today. Do that today. If you've never done that before and you still are in your own sin and in the filth, admit to God your unrighteousness. Come to him on the basis of his mercy. Oh God, I plead the mercy of Jesus Christ and the blood he shed for me. To pray based on anything else is of, of really no use. So this is a healthy prayer. I hope you're thinking about this in your own prayer life. Do you pray confessionally? Do you ascribe to God what is due his name? And do you pray based on his mercy and not your righteousness? This should shape us. This should shape us. This should change us. How you pray privately and publicly, how you pray with your church, how you pray for people, how you worship in your car, the things you say to God. This is, this is a biblical prayer. God, you are good. I am not. My sins won't allow me in your presence, God, but you have mercy on sinners. And you save the unrighteous for the sake of your name. Daniel ends his prayer with these words to God. Look at verse 17 to 19. Daniel 9, 17 to 19. He says, Now therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant, to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes to see our desolation and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So the last thing I want you to hear is this. Appeal to the will of God in prayer. When you pray, pray according to his will. Appeal to the will of God, not to the will of your flesh. And I will say another massive movement in our world is the most, and I, and I just kind of stumbled across one earlier this week. Uh, I don't know, I got some notification from a YouTube channel, and it was the prayer hour or something, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, oh, this is cool, people praying. And it was just so filled with manipulation and people trying to get God to move and, and do things and very little humility. And, and a big movement in our world is what? The name it, claim it, the positive confession, the say this, and, and God will do it if you say it enough and if you're positive enough about it and if you have enough faith. 
That's not what Scripture actually says. Scripture doesn't say try to get God to bend to your will. Scripture says appeal to the will of God. Pray the will of God. Seek His will. Seek His face. Everything David is asking God for are things we could clearly point to His word and say, God wants to do that thing. You notice that about this? There's nothing in this prayer that you'd say, I couldn't see God doing that. No, this sounds like a selfish Daniel prayer. So how many of our prayers are selfish, put your name in the blank, prayers? And how many of them are God's will? God, your will be done. And what, is it, what does it take to pray this way? Church, what does it take to pray this way? You can answer. Get some participation here. What's it take? Don't whisper it. Shout it. You've got to know God's word. We saw at the beginning of this chapter that Daniel read God's word. He knew Jeremiah's prophecy. Hey, the 70 years are coming to an end. How did he know that? He knew the word of God. He heard the prophecies. How did he know about God's nature and his kindness and his commandments? Because he knew the law of Moses. And he was praying the law of Moses. And he was including in his prayer things that he knew God desired. Now I'm like, well, that sounds like cheating. I don't care. That's how we're told to pray. Ask anything according to his will, 1 John tells us, and we know we will receive it. And if we know we will receive it, what should we do, church? We should pray. We know this. Ask anything according to his will. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. How do you know the will of God? Sola Scriptura. By letting God's word be the authority that forms your thinking and your desires and your actions and your prayers. Let God's word inform that. So if you pray worldly prayers, don't do it anymore. If you pray only based on the way you were taught to pray, but you're looking at the word going, wait a minute, I don't know if I should pray that way. Don't. Pray informed prayers by God's word. Know the will of God and pray according to a will, to his will. There are things that we may pray that we cannot know how God will lead exactly, right? And those are things that we pray often about direction and advice. And those are things that we should pray, right? But we're not praying to force the hand of God. In every circumstance and season that we find ourselves in, we can still pray according to his will and to his word. In every circumstance. So if you're in a circumstance of indecision, I don't know where to do, I don't know where to go, I don't know where to eat tonight, uh, or I'm going to go to school next semester, and you have all these decisions, well, what about those? How do we pray the will of God? If you're praying about direction for your life, or marriage, or children, or career, all of these things... Don't turn those into selfish prayers. You still pray, God, what do I know about you? What do I know about your will and your desire for me here to glorify you? One thing that you can pray always, church, is how do I most glorify you with this next thing I'm about to do? How do I most bring glory to your name? You know how oftentimes that will just bring such clarity? Because we're adding into a, our decision-making, there's one that's kind of selfish and there's one that we know is God's will. And if we would just say, God, where would I most bring glory to your name and to your kingdom? We'd be like, eh, eh, that's not, obviously that's like my will. <laughs> that's your will. So God, where, what do you want me to do? Notice Daniel's words, verse 17. Listen to the prayer of your servant. Listen to the prayer of your servant. Does, does God listen to prayer? Yes, to the prayers of his servants. God listens to the prayer of his servants. So we pray, listen, O Lord, and we're encouraged to know that he bends his ear to us. That's what he said in verse 18, incline your ear and hear. So if you're a servant of God through Jesus Christ and you pray, you know that you have his ear. And he's listening. How cool is that? He bends his ear to you. It's like God saying, I'm listening. And he hears each of us. How awesome is that? It's not like God, you know, the whole, all the statements like, God must be busy, like, working with all these people. No, I don't know. No. Like, he handles it. He's cool. He's not, like, wringing his hands and all frustrated with all the things that he has to deal with in people's lives. And that tells me that if he would listen to Daniel's prayer, and Daniel knew that he had his ear inclined to him, that when you pray, brothers and sisters in Christ, you can know that God is hearing you specifically. And he cares about you personally. And again in verse 17, this phrase, make your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Is that in God's will? 
Yes, it is. Daniel appeals to the sovereign ownership that God has over the sanctuary, the place of fellowship, the place where they communed with God. He's speaking of Jerusalem and the temple, the place where God's people would meet with the Lord and make sacrifices. But that was God's idea. Daniel is basically reminding God, hey, this sanctuary, this place that's been desolate, I know you love that place because you, it was your idea. Restore it. Make your face to shine upon it. Is it God's will to dwell with his people or is it God's will to forsake his people? It's God's will to dwell with them, to be with them. Look at verse, this is 1 Kings 6, 12, and 23. I'll have it on the screen so you don't have to turn there for this one. This is, this is awesome. Think about this. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning, concerning this house that you are building if you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. This is speaking to Solomon about the building of that temple there in Jerusalem, that sanctuary, that place of fellowship. And he's saying, if you walk in my ways, if you do these things, I will not forsake you. I will dwell with you. I will dwell among the children of Israel. And this is where Daniel is appealing to the Lord. Look at verse 19 in chapter 9 again with me. Daniel 9, 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Listen to this, and we're wrapping it up here. Daniel appeals to the will of God for the people that God has called by his name. And he cries out, oh Lord, three times. He says, hear, he says, forgive, and he says, pay attention, act, delay not. All these action words, because, and why? Because we are your people. We are your people. And I believe the church needs to pray more like this today. We want to see change but we are not a confessional people. We want to see change. We want to see change around us and in our lives and in our country and our community. But are we a confessional people? We want to see growth, but we sacrifice very little. We want to give, we want God to give us things, but do we ascribe to him what is due to him? We say, God, hear us, but we're not even postured toward him in humility and sincerity. God, listen to us, but are we humble? And then we have Jesus Christ. And because of his love, his grace, and his obedience to the Father, we don't pray toward Jerusalem anymore. This is, think about this in a New Testament context. We don't pray towards Jerusalem and long for his presence that way, but we go directly to the throne. Daniel couldn't do that. Daniel didn't do that. He did not have the mediator, Jesus Christ, who bridged the gap between sinners and the Father. So we don't pray towards Jerusalem for that presence. We go directly to the throne with access by faith, and we have the presence of the Spirit of God dwelling in us, Christians. Because of Jesus, we have a mediator between God and man. And when we admit our sins and confess our sins, what does the scripture tell us? That he's faithful and he's just to forgive us. And that massive and impossible chasm between a holy God and wretched sinner is bridged by Jesus Christ. And we rest in that grace. And because of Jesus, we have authority in his name. Now, true Israel, the church, Gentiles and Jews who have all trusted in Christ, a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue that gets grafted into the family and we become what? We become his possession. So when we pray as God's people, we appeal, God, you have made promises to your people. You've made a covenant with your church through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. He will not turn on those promises. And so we pray, spread your kingdom, God. Draw people in to your kingdom, God. We are exiles, but we're destined for glory. So scripture, we're exiles. We don't, 
live in a world that is our home right now. We long for our home. We long for our true home, but we are destined for that place. We pray, convict the world of sin, and because this whole universe is yours, God, and that you have a people here, do it for the sake of your name. That phrase, do it for the sake of your name, should be more on the lips of God's people. Do it for the sake of your name. He has a people here, church. He has a people in this city. He has a people in our state who are called by his name. Everywhere you go, you might find yourself surrounded by opposition and what seems like enemies. But there are people that God is drawing to himself. And the desolation that you may see in our lives that might sound somewhat similar to what's going on with Daniel, although it's not, we can't really relate to that as people right here. We've not really ever been exiled that way. But there's an element in which that we still need to lean on the mercy of God. And if we're going to see desolation end, and if we're going to see darkness come to an end in, the people, in people's lives, we're going to appeal to God on the basis of His mercy. God, have mercy on me and have mercy on these people. Why? For the sake of your name and for your glory. Because you have people here and you made promises that you are going to bring into your kingdom a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And he's going to do that. He's going to do that. Just as sure as Daniel knew that that 70 years was about to come to a completion, and I'm not saying now we need to start looking for when the end of the world is. That's not the correlation here. But just as sure as sure he knew that promise, we should also be just as sure that he's going to save sinners for his glory. And that should give us confidence and strength to pray confidently and go confidently and speak confidently, trusting in in God who is merciful. Amen, church? Be encouraged. Let these things inform your prayer life. Be confessional. Posture yourself humbly. Ascribe to God what is due to his name and pray according to his will. Seek after his will. Will you pray with me, church? And then we're going to have the band just come back up and we're going to close the service. But I want you to be praying and uh, ask the Lord how he might continue to convict you and, and then and draw you to himself. So let's pray together. Oh Lord, we need you. I ask that you would apply the truth of scripture directly to the hearts of your people. Lord, bring a, a heart of confession into our Lives, Lord, let our mouths speak what is true about you and true about ourselves. Inform our hearts by your word. God, I pray that we would not come to you and approach you arrogantly, proudly, but humbly and postured so that we might recognize our own sin and how desperately we need you every day and every hour. I want to pray for the people here today that maybe have never confessed, never turned their heart to you, never said, Lord, I've been wrong. God, I pray that you would, in that very moment, well, one, that they would pray that and that they would confess their sins. But Lord, that they would come face to face today with the reality of your son, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice for sinners and the greatest example of mercy, that you would die for sinners like us to take our place on the cross. God, we come to you based on your mercy alone. Show your mercy. Show us, God, your glory. Help us to pray according to your will. Help us not to pray prayers that are based on a, a selfish whim, but to be confident that what we ask is something that you will do because we know your will and we know your word. God, transform our, our lives, Lord, our people, our, our church, our, our, our community and our state. And we know that alone will happen as your people humble themselves and pray and seek your face. God, shine your face upon this place. Thank you, God, for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for the celebration that we have because of lives that have been changed eternally for your glory. Continue to do that, God. Turn people to 
repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. Forgive us. Turn your face upon us, Lord. Restore us. And we look forward to the day where we will see you. We will see you face to face. So we worship you, God, and we give you the glory. We praise you for your word. Keep working, keep transforming. Change our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church.